0: this is the hunt for wellness podcast with bill ketterman 68 wilson it's another great day for wellness and this is bones bringing the packs of f3 nation the latest strategies and tips to accelerate their king and optimize their queen health is a journey and requires you to take a proactive approach on a daily basis Knowing exactly what to do and how to do it will help you achieve it faster. Each week, we are going to be interviewing the leading health and wellness experts, sharing inspiring stories from the packs, and diving into the latest research to help you optimize your health. So get ready as we embark on your hunt for wellness. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Hunt for Wellness podcast. This is Dr. Tunis Hunt, uh, otherwise known as Bones, and I am super excited that you joined us today. In today's episode, I had the privilege of speaking to Bill Ketterman, or Wilson, who at the age of 64 knew that something was missing in his life. After learning about F3 through a podcast, Bill was on a mission to connect with the men of F3 and drove over 40 miles to post. For the first time, the only problem was that no one was there. Instead of being discouraged, he doubled down and eventually planted the flag in Dayton, Ohio, where he is accelerating as king at the respectable age of 68. We have a great discussion about what his grandfather did at the age of 70 that impacted his pursuit of fitness, what daily strategies he uses to improve his queen, and what he believes the secret to staying healthy in the respectable years. And as always, if you like this episode, please be sure to share it with your family, friends, and other packs in your region. Now for today's show. I have Bill Ketterman on the uh, podcast with me today, otherwise known as Wilson in the gloom. Welcome to the show, my friend.
1: Thank you. So happy to be here.
0: Yeah. Thank you for uh, agreeing to come on the show and and really just kind of share your story and, and what you have going on around fitness and health. I think it's going to add a lot of value to our packs. So let's uh, start kind of at the origin of F3. How did you get into F3? how did you learn about it? And why the name Wilson?
1: Uh, It was in uh, 2017 that my wife and I moved to the Dayton area. At the time, uh, I was only working part-time for FedEx. Uh, During the Great Recession, I'd I'd lost my IT job. And uh, as my wife retired, she said she wanted to to relocate to Dayton, where her youngest daughter and the youngest grandkids were. And um, that was not our plan. But um, knowing that she had missed out on being a grandma, you know, earlier, you know, with the older grandkids, you know, I relented and it was easy for me to, to, to transfer with FedEx. And so we did that in May of that year. And then by October, uh, I was just going back to the Art of Manliness podcast. Uh, I hadn't listened to it for, for quite a while and just going through the back issues of it. And I stumbled on this um the transcript of Dread and OBT, and I said, "This is interesting." You know, I was 64 at the time, and I I just knew part of for me, I needed more Mayo fellowship. And uh, being FedEx October, we're coming up to Christmas season. I couldn't do anything right away, but immediately after Christmas, I went ahead and went back to the website, looked up the closest AO was Lebanon on the south side of Dayton. And on January 1 of 2018, went ahead and drove the 40 minutes to Lebanon in a car that had a broken heater and it was minus eight that year. Wow. So I got there and there was nobody, just empty parking lot. But um, not being deterred, I went ahead and contacted uh, the nation uh, on Facebook. They got me in touch with um, Nice and Easy in Cincinnati. But again, I'm looking at the, at the map and there also was an AO on the west side of Columbus. Now that was a little bit further for me than Cincinnati, but I decided that that's where I wanted to, to go. And at this time I'd read enough on the, I'd already gone through the uh, the QSARS, uh learning about um, the mustard seed planting. And so I was just hoping to get acclimated and ultimately after a few months, be able to start one in Dayton. So I drove the hour and 15 minutes. When Jan, uh, this was uh, the middle of January by, by this time. And um, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm older. I've spent a long time since I've run, you know, but it didn't matter. I've just caught up with, with the flow of things. We have a great workout. Circle of trust, you know, where do you work? I have worked for FedEx. And so immediately said, Wilson, after the volleyball on the... Uh, Tom Hanks movie Cast Away and so that stuck and um, so I come show back up this the second week now working for FedEx Monday uh, mornings are my only day available and um, so I show up on that second Monday and Bo Schenckler was the Natan and Circle of Trust he got you know he's looking at me he goes we're starting one in Dayton and I said it's that easy. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking it's going to take months for me to get, you know, acclimated and everything. What I mean, it turns out that Bo was from Dayton originally, and he had been headlocking three other guys Tails, Bo, uh, uh, Bone Daddy, and Gold Star. So in February, Bo arranged for the four of us to get together. I didn't know these guys, and uh, because I, I just hadn't even been here a year yet and uh, so we got together for coffee that next march we had two or three previews and then first of april of 2018 we then officially launched in dayton so that's how i got in and where we are today we've got now dayton is fairly well established we have about 20 regular packs we have workouts every morning, and uh, and then on Saturday mornings as well. Sun, you know, Sunday, we take a day off.
0: Wow. Well, that's quite a story. And I'm sorry, you kind of broke up just a bit when you said how many packs you guys have currently up there. Yeah, about 20 uh, okay. that,
1: that show up on a regular, about, you know, at least three times a month. Nice. Across you know the various, because we've got three, four different AOs.
0: Got it. Well, I mean, kudos to you for just that perseverance to get connected with F3. I mean, obviously the uh, th- there was a desire in you to kind of connect and, and be part of that. And, and that certainly shows to drive 40 hours to, a pl- or excuse me, 40 minutes to a, a, a place that you may or may not see anybody else, negative uh, seven degree temperature-like uh, conditions and then to show up and no one be there. I mean, ouch. And and then to you to to go back, uh, what a testimony. Uh, And uh, I love, and and as soon as you said FedEx, I put the Wilson thing together. So I was waiting for you to confirm that with your story, Uh, but that makes perfect sense. I can see why they they gravitated to that. Well, you know, Pax, I brought uh, Wilson on today and he kind of alluded to the fact that uh, when he found F3, he was 64 years old or so. Um, He's currently... 68 years young and still out there in the gloom doing some amazing things. And I wanted to bring him on so that he can you know really kind of share his story um, as far as kind of his health journey through life to give us some inspiration for those of us that are a little bit younger and then uh, really kind of uh, help those that may be a little bit on the older side to, to stay motivated, to let them know that uh, there's still an option for them out there in the gloom to be part of this thing we call F3. So um, why don't we do this, uh, Wilson, why don't we kind of back up a little bit, tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of your health journey kind of from the earlier years, Uh, were you always into fitness and health, was it something that you picked up later in life, kind of walk us back a little bit to, to kind of your history with fitness and health.
1: As I was growing up, I was a really small kid. Uh, I was, my nickname back then was Pee Wee. And so that's kind of helped um, mold my attitude, I suppose, that, you know, okay, I'm little, but I can do a lot of things. And, um, but as I was getting, you know, getting older, going into, into college, um, looking at the world around me, finding out about older people, uh, Going back home and my dad and I went uh, were out at my grandparents, My my grandfather. Um, he was a survivor. He, he was drafted during World War One. They gave him up for dead uh, during the the uh, Spanish flu uh, epidemic uh, back in the uh, early 1900s. Uh, but he lived through that, came back home and married, had the family. Uh, so two aspects of, of that. Number one, grandpa lived to be 98, grandma lived to be be lived to be 100. Wow. Um, but even before they got that old, uh, dad and I were at uh, grandpa's and we go out to the barn and he crawls up the slats, grabs onto the sides of the hayloft and pulls himself up in a muscle up. And I'm going, you know, obviously you don't have to be feeble when you get old, you know, because and that's just stuck with me, um, seeing my grandpa do that. And then even when he was 95 years old, he's the the, the tall ceilings, you know, two story house, 12 foot ceilings, he's got the ladder out there, up at the top cleaning out the leaf, you know. Uh, so that's my motivation, uh, you know, from, from a long term standpoint. Um, so I've always been at least somewhat active when I was in my twenties, I, I started going to the gym, uh, at least two or three times a week during lunch hour. And that hung with me most of the time. Um, I've had a lot of different jobs in different locations, so it wasn't always possible, but whenever I had the opportunity to work out at lunch, I would do that. So, and then when I lost my job in 09, uh, during the great depression or, uh, uh recession, um, gave up had to give up membership but i went back just to the old standbys of, of doing push-ups and and pull-ups so now i've always been motivated from that standpoint to to try to maintain a certain level of, of fitness and it kind of gets worse as i get older really
0: yeah so i could imagine seeing your grandfather how old was he do you think when he was doing those pull-ups or the uh, what would you what'd you call him
1: the when he was cleaning the gutters out
0: well you you said he was in the 90s then um but I was thinking that the the get-ups or the pull-ups or something he was doing in the barn
1: oh he was he was about 70 he was in his
0: early 70s at that point wow that's pretty impressive when you said um kind of growing up college and and whatever going to the gym what years were that I mean when was that historically well, I started college in 1971. Okay, uh, so the 70s. In the 76. Gotcha. Now, from a cultural standpoint, um, how was exercise and fitness as far as kind of, was it something a lot of people were doing then? Was it something that was kind of uh, on the cuff uh, of getting popular? How was the culture around fitness and, and all that stuff then?
1: I, I believe that it was in the 70s that uh, Jim Fix became started making uh, jogging popular um and that's you know part of the wave but you know the, from my own personal standpoint the this the in our environment i grew up in the rural area um uh, and people didn't jog, they bailed hay. They, but in school, they, um, you know, we played sports, basketball. We, it was a very small school. We had uh, only 100 kids in the whole school until we consolidated my, my junior year. But playing baseball and basketball, those, uh, and pickup football games for the culture as I was growing up. And then in college, being in a more urban area, then that was more, again, Yeah, jogging was becoming popular fitness was becoming you know more well known um so
0: yeah no i was just curious i I wasn't sure if it was something that from a cultural standpoint lots of people uh, did or if it was something that you were kind of gravitating towards even though it was more obscure and people weren't doing it as often because i know at some point in history it wasn't something people did uh, as far as kind of extracurricular uh to your point even where you lived most of the people were getting a lot of fitness just you know living uh doing the daily chores doing the things that they were doing anyway versus kind of having that additional time to go out and force themselves to quote unquote be active uh that wasn't necessarily so it sounds like for for the majority of your life you've um at least had fitness as part of your on your radar at least as far as that goes. Um, So have there been any major milestones along the way that you feel like um, you've accomplished with fitness? I mean, any specific races or anything like that that you found that uh, uh, have been something to put a feather in your cap?
1: Well, in the earlier years, as I was, um, no, I'm I'm not really. I mean, when I got to the point where I ran Uh, in a five mile race, the popcorn panic in Valparaiso where Orville Redenbacher was from. I mean, that was a survival thing. (laughs) Um, I I was running with a coworker who was a runner. I've never really been much of a distance runner, but I did manage to go up to 10 miles at one point, um, you know, in in a very slow pace. So, I mean, the, the way that you've Frame your question. There is kind of interesting. I suppose a milestone would would have been like oh about two months ago uh, in pre- preparing for the um, F3 univ- uh, anniversary. Uh, I was hoping to participate in the um, overnight rock at 26.2 miles. Um, I didn't get to go to the uh, anniversary because of the scheduling conflict, but uh, and just in pre- preparing for it, I was able to, uh, crank out 13 miles with, with about 20 pound rock. So that's a milestone, uh, that really on out all that long ago. And it's kind of what my appetite, I hope that maybe I can get a 26 mile or in sometime. that's on my bucket list.
0: Yeah, that, no, that's impressive already. 13 miles, 26 miles is a long way. I, uh. I, I was scheduled to do that myself, and and I opted out. I was there, and I had no other excuse other than I didn't want to feel the way I wanted to feel the next day. And uh, so watching those guys come in from that rock, uh, you could tell that it was certainly taxing. Uh, and you think, oh, they're just walking. Well, now it's, 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 a, walking that long is a long way. But uh, with weight on, uh, it adds that. So, no, that's great, man. I was just curious, uh, you know, if there was something like, you know, triathlons or things like that you got interested in in the past as far as kind of coming up through the ranks of, of fit, fitness or, or, or whatever. So it doesn't sound like that was your really cup of tea, but uh, just kind of the consistency of going to a gym or being, ex, you know, adding exercise. Was there a time that you – kind of did not prioritize health and kind of found your health in in, in a scenario where you aren't pleased with it?
1: Yeah, um, I I have hit 200 pounds before. Um, I'm currently 180 and I'm about 25% body fat right now. So my Pogo 40 was closer to a Pogo 30, between 170 and 200. And I have hit 200 two times you know in my life. And, and that's been sort of the trigger um, again being a small guy growing up I, I know that I'm just not built for a lot of lot of weight and so when I hit 200 you know something kicks in you know and I'm, I've been able to say no nope, that's but again it's only been two times in my life that, that, that I've hit that so between 175 and 180 is my normal fluctuation but I, it would not hurt me to get I A year ago, I got down to 165, uh, but I just haven't been able to maintain
0: that. I got it. So outside of just weight gain, did you notice any other health concerns that you had at any of those moments? I mean, did you feel like, gosh, if this is, you know, going in the wrong direction, whether it was energy or sleep or stress or whatever? I mean, was there any other uh, symptoms around health? When I turned
1: 50, um, I had just started a new job, <clears throat> just turned 50, and I was starting to have some chest pains. Uh, let me back up a little bit. I, I have a heart condition called right branch bundle blockage. And it means really nothing. I just have a little bit of an irregular heartbeat, but it doesn't stop me from doing anything. But when I was 50 and I am started getting these chest pains, I'm going, this doesn't feel good. And so I went and had a stress test. And the results were that they said, you know, you have a right branch bundle blockage. Yes, I know that. You know, that doesn't stop you from doing anything. Yes, I know that. Other than that, you're fine. Um, It was just that this was like six months after I'd been fired from a job that was extremely stressful leading up to that firing. And I think that it was just a delayed stress reaction, plus being 50, you know, there was uh, a St. Louis Cardinal pitcher in his early thirties, you know, you're, you're healthy, you're in the prime of life, you're a professional ball player, and he killed over death. And so for that's happening, making big news at that time, kind of just added, you know, I'm now 50 years old, but but that's it, that's, you know, um, it, it hasn't stopped me. Um, and again, with the, the, the longevity uh, of my family, um, no that's that's it
0: yeah so when you found yourself hitting that 200 and it's time to kind of go in the right direction what are some of the strategies that you use or what are the changes that you make to kind of move yourself back in that right direction
1: well i I would typically just start working out more and then just start paying attention to what i'm what i'm eating Uh, a couple different things that i've done throughout Um, over the years like maybe 10 years ago, seeing the book called Wheat Belly, um, written by a cardiologist, showing how refined carbs um, aren't as good for you as complex carbs. Now, growing up in the country, I grew up with a lot of vegetables. We always had big gardens, and I've never had a problem with that. So um, my wife really likes to cook, and she likes trying new things. And that's fine with me. I like to eat. But part of, of uh, our personal culture is that, uh, I mean, we like trying new things we, and, and vegetables are just part of it, you know? So um, other than just paying more attention to what I'm eating um, and, and exercising a little bit more, I've always sort of, particularly with, with the exercising, tend to sort of track how much I'm doing sometimes more than, than, than others. So I can see, yeah, I'm doing more push-ups, I'm doing more, more weight. I'm doing, you know, whatever I'm running farther when I, when I would run or I'm rucking farther. So to me, that's one way of tracking progress. You know, am I doing more? It's hard to push yourself if you don't know well, what did you do, do before? So um, that's, I think for me, that's another thing, just making sure that I'm tracking something so I can say, yeah, I've done more.
0: Yeah. Measurable is you know, having that accountability makes a big difference. And we've mentioned it on the podcast before about even tracking food or tracking weight or, or workouts. Uh, those are all great metrics to kind of have to look at. Cause if you're not keeping score to your point, you don't know where you are. And uh, I think we kid ourselves a lot about what we eat and, and do versus seeing it on a statistical chart or on a piece of paper that allows us to kind of just be honest with that yeah i'm familiar with uh wheat belly i think it was william davis maybe i think was the author um and uh to your point yeah they that that uh you kind of shine the light on the reality of refined carbohydrates and how it's just an epidemic in our society and how um it really is kind of that underlying root cause to a lot of that inflammation uh a it's just you know uh uh creates inflammation in and of itself but a lot of those products wheat for instance is sprayed with some of those pesticides and herbicides and it's just uh can create all types of health conditions so do you eat bread or anything like that now or how 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 has that book changed what you do with carbohydrates
1: i I am eating some bread right now um but kind of along with this point referencing back to the art of manliness just uh, in the last couple months or so. He had a guest on that has done some more, more research. He, he's an author that writes about food. And the book was The End of Craving. And he's brought out some other things that need to be looked at a little bit more. Uh, and not just the refinement of, of the grains and everything, but how once we refine the grain, how there's we take stuff out of it. And so to compensate that, we put stuff back in, these, these enrichments. And uh, in the, hearing the, the podcast, my wife was listening to it with me, and he was talking uh, at this one point about um, artificial sweeteners. And then they don't always keep you from gaining weight. And as he's talking about this, my wife says, that makes sense to me. I paused the audio and I said, what do you mean? She goes, I stopped drinking Diet Coke and I have lost five pounds over the last four weeks. So he went on to talk about how uh, particularly B vitamins and one, I think it's B12. My wife had been taking that at the doctor's um, recommendation. And as I started researching that a little bit more, the daily recommend dose of it. And it's some, one of those things that they put into bread. And based on what this guy said, she went just dumped the B12. Some of the, you can apparently sort of overdose it causes headaches and diarrhea. And when she dumped B12, she stopped having, she still has some headaches, but not nearly to the degree that she was. So there's still a lot of Research that needs to be done in that in that area of why the things that instead of taking the stuff that God made and, and consuming or uh, like that we take out stuff and then put other stuff in like God didn't know what he was doing when he made wheat in the first place so I just think it needs more thinking and researching.
0: Yeah, I mean you bring up a great point about whole food and the idea that we as man have trying to created you know this this <laughs> fake food or this Franken food and most of it's around you know, profitability. It's about what we can do to to ha- have higher yield and uh, monopolize certain type of crops and all that kind of stuff. That's a whole different show and, and soapbox as far as that goes. Um, as far as B12 goes, to your point, yes, uh, anything uh, can be too much. And, and B12 is one of those. The unique thing about B12, though, is not everybody... Has the opportunity to what they call methylate it in their bodies. Um, you can have a, a genetic snip um, that inhibits that, and so what you have to do actually is you have to take a methylated form of it. And if you're taking the the proper type of nutrient, um, uh, you usually don't have a problem with it. But I'm assuming, you know, they're throwing the cheap stuff in to these fortified breads and cereals and things like that because, again they're trying to maximize profit and not necessarily provide you health. And so possibly a, the vitamin plus some of those other nutrients that she was doing was just compounding to the point where it was creating a problem. And I'd be curious if uh, a, the type of B12 she was taking, if it was like a methylated form of it, or, um, she truly just had a toxicity to it. Cause you know, like we preach a lot, B12 can have a lot of, health benefits to us. But if it's obviously not getting processed properly in the body, or whatever, um, I completely understand. And then you brought up another good point about artificial sweeteners. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest um, hoaxes out there is people think, you know, no sugar, zero sugar, all these type of drinks or products that they're not getting the sugar, therefore, it's lower calories, therefore, it's low fat, therefore, it's you know, quote, unquote, healthy. And it's the chemical aspect of those things, right? They, they change neurotransmitters in our brain to crave more, to put on more weight, to, to, to um, change our metabolism. And let's just be honest, uh, Diet Coke or Coca-Cola makes money by increasing the amount of Coca-Cola you drink, not decreasing the amount of Coca-Cola. So I can, I can understand why they do it. Uh, but yes, to your point, there has been multiple, I don't, I, I, I don't want to misspeak here, I, I know of several write-ups or uh, even research that shows that when an individual, for instance, just switches from a diet soda to, let's say, the regular soda, um, that they did notice weight loss, uh, despite Diet Coke being marketed as that diet choice. So that's interesting that she noticed that same change when she did that. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Well, yeah. So, um, obviously, um, you're still active today. You're out there posting in the gloom, doing the things that you do, um, kind of share with us, uh, what is your posting schedule? What is it that you're typically doing out in the gloom, uh, these days? Um, every
1: Saturday, uh, on the site queue for, uh, uh the Havlin, which is our, our, our mothership here locally. And then in the last year, uh, I, well, Right away, once we started the three and a half years ago, I did start posting on Monday, and that was also a beat down. Uh, but about a year ago, that uh, it was at a different AO, and it just dwindled. And so um, we've relocated it, and one of the our, our, uh, between me and a couple other guys that are really uh, on Monday start a new AO that is just a, a rucking AO on Mondays. Uh, and I'll go ahead and, and give a shout out here at this point, you know, that we, I'm, I'm no longer war daddy here. We, this other guy, uh, Fence Post is, is 70 years old. He oh, wow. in, in March of last year. And uh, he's um, at, being an older guy, he's very conscientious. He said, I'd really like to make Monday more recovery than you know. It's too close from Saturday. I said I'm good with that. So, uh, so Monday we do have a another AO that's more vigorous, but um, we have this other rocking one. So that's my my schedule right now in terms of F3. But I've been working from home for uh, almost two years now, and it, it's very easy for me. And I, I always get up to break up the day. You know, I set my timer so that every hour it goes off so that I'm doing something, but I'm also hopeful that, uh, my schedule is lightened up a little bit. Um, my personal schedule. So I'm hoping to be able to post out, uh, in the gloom a little bit, uh, one more time for, for more vigorous beat down, you know, in the middle of the week.
0: Got it. So how many uh, days a week does Dayton have a, an AO open?
1: Monday through Friday, we've got something going at 530 in one of uh, one, two, three different locations. Gotcha. Not, they're, they're not all like on our Mondays uh, is only Monday um, at we call the bridge. But um, and Tuesday, Thursday is could be either of uh, other two locations.
0: I gotcha. OK, well, very good. So uh, plenty of opportunity to post more well, if you wanted to. But at the same time. Uh, I understand schedules and and you know just preference. The important thing you mentioned something really important there as far as getting up and moving on a on an hourly basis. That that is one thing that I try to preach to patients all the time is you know because they'll talk about ergonomics and how do I set up my desk and you know what is it that I need to do to kind of quote unquote sit right and have perfect posture and and there's certainly tactics and strategies that you can put in and I but I tell them I said really the most important thing is getting up throughout the day and moving around that sitting two, three hours straight, regardless of your posture. I mean, you could be sitting in the very perfect posture in the world for three hours straight. You're still going to stand up and be sore and tight and have, you know, muscle shortening, uh, aspects and, and syndromes. And so getting up, moving around and, and I often require, or not require a uh, request that they, um, do what you do, which is like set that timer, set that automatic beat, because, you know, it's very easy to get sucked into our work and look up and be like, Oh, gosh, three hours just went on. And I haven't moved at all. So speaking of movement, um, sounds like some of the things that you do in your exercise, uh, as we were talking before we hit record today, is doing some mobility stuff. And so Kind of just share a little bit about that and the importance, in your opinion, of adding that style of exercise to, let's just say, an AO or a beatdown.
1: Well, coming back to what motivates me to, to do that, um, as I started getting in the 50s and, and all, just starting to realize uh, stiffness you can't really avoid it but you can mitigate it you can uh, you know work against it, fight it and um okay I mean, if you start early enough it might be avoidable but you know for most guys it's an afterthought that you know, we'd rather crank out 100 push-ups or whatever but as i started getting older and i I'm, started anticipating grandkids i thought you know i want to be able to just get on the floor and play with my grandkids and not have to worry about how am i going to get back up because that's the other part of it so um again prior to moving here one of the the part-time jobs i had was um i was a security officer and so i would every two hours get up and walk two miles and listen to podcasts And uh, Tim Ferriss was another podcast that I would listen to. And he introduced me to the the, uh, uh, guy, uh, Kelly Starrett, who is really big on mobility. So um, that's what got me really going in in that direction that um, being able to just, if you look at pictures from National Geographic of guys, people, in third world countries, how they're sitting around the fire, just sitting down on their haunches. You know, monkey humpers without the hump part, you know, we're just in a deep squat. And most Americans can't do that. And so that's where I started with just doing a deep, slow squat, being able to hold it for a long time. But now I've, I've added to that for more mobility. You know, bear crawls are a good, good starting point, uh, but uh, like monkey walks as well um when when i queue i you know we'll do i'll work these things in just so that again i don't expect guys to just say oh yeah let's do the bear crawl let's do the you know in fact you know guys will complain about doing some of these things so that means it's good for them but um at least giving them more exposure to it so that once they start stiffening up they go you know we used to do that exercise you know that uh, karaoke thingy you know where you're twisting your hips and all so and again that's something that uh fence post uh, the 70 year old guy he's really big on that too so um when you look at old people who don't exercise a lot they're just you know stiff and i don't want to be that way
0: yeah, you, you're kind of alluding to this, you know, functional movement, this idea that we have daily activities and tasks and and the way we live and move that uh, is often ignored when it comes to exercise. And to your point, uh, a lot of us like to do the things that we're good at and not try to do the things we're not good at. And there's a time and place for that. But I, 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 flexibility is not my strength. Let's just put it that way. And I remember, and it's been several years, but I was kind of doing a workout routine, if you will, that uh, once a week incorporated a yoga session. And that was the hardest day of the week, man. I, I dreaded that day more than any other day of the week, just because I was no good at it. And it worked. I mean, I would, I would literally drench with more sweat, on the day I did yoga, then I would do on you know a longer run or doing pull-ups and push-ups. It was just incredible um, you know the the level of fitness you have to have to do those things, although in many cases we overlook those. and And to your point, you know guys don't like to do some of those functional things. And you're absolutely right about if you look at tribals, um, you know people that live in tribes or even, the, you know, the individuals that haven't been westernized, if you will, to your point, they they can sit down uh, without a seat. They, you know, they sit down rather kind of crouch down uh, in that monkey humper position without doing it and and really are, are squat, I guess is the word I'm looking for. And I deal with lots of people in my practice. And to your point, most people are unable to squat down and come back up. Uh, And if really being honest, Pax, look around your circle. Next time you all are doing slow low squats, how many people are bending their back forward and not squatting with their knees or their hips or whatever. And so that's something, that's a functional motion that's vital um, for longevity. Because if you think about to your point, being able to get on the floor with your grandkids and play with them and then getting back up off the floor. There's a lot of people that can't do that or they lose that function. And so right. they're unable to be um, a, a participant in that type of activity. And so I think it's great that you've recognized that that's a, uh, an area that to work on. I'm glad that you're introducing that into your workouts because we all need it. And it just takes, you know, someone to initiate it for all of us to, to do it because otherwise you know, we're creatures of the habit, and we're not going to do it um, a, a, as much as we should. So I, I think it's great. Um, now, do you do any type of yoga or Pilates or any of those type of things as well? Uh, not really yoga. Uh, there was a YouTube
1: channel called Raw Tricks. Uh, the guy does Capoeira, capoeira the Brazilian martial yes. art whatever that's called. But he does a little, it's more animated than just the martial art, and it's very um, mobility intensive. Um, And I can't come close to what he does, but it's just really cool, and doing what I can do to um, to make your body do this, you know, uh, back bridges, um, that kind of thing. So um, no, no yoga. I mean, there's got nothing against it, but um, just the movement is more, I think I, if, if ADD had been a thing back when I was growing up, I probably wouldn't have been diagnosed with that, but, so uh.
0: Yeah. No. Uh, and, and to your point, yeah, I was just asking just in case it was something that you did implement. And I just wanted to make sure that we, we highlighted it. If you had some nuggets about that, but going back to the squat, I just thought of something. Um, cause you know, audience out there may not do squats or can't do a squat. Um, that should be something that you should start working on and, and you can do it in stages. Of course, Uh, I always recommend when I'm talking to my patients about it is you can stand, um, in front of a chair, so you don't fall to the floor, um, squatting down, stand in front of a countertop, or, or whatever that you can hold on to or a door jam or, or a doorknob or something that allows you that functionality to come down. Cause you may not be able to hold your balance or, you know, your flexibility when you first start, but you really should get to that point where you can start squatting all the way back down to the floor and you can regain a lot of that. I mean, no guys, uh, especially in their older years, um, feel like they've lost some of that flexibility and mobility, but like anything out there, you can work it and, and, and improve it. And um, I know I've seen really good results with patients who are willing to work on that um, just improve their overall health and wellness and fitness when they just do something as simple as being able to do that full squat and come back up. So challenge packs uh, to, to start doing some squats and, And uh, encourage each other when you're in the gloom uh, to actually squat and not bend forward (laughs) with your back, because uh, that is something I see quite a bit, at least uh, in some of the workouts that I've been associated with. we quickly mentioned, um, bread as something that you, you eat, but sparingly talked about wheat belly. Are there any other dietary trends that you follow that you found that uh, are really helpful for you?
1: <clears throat> Nothing that's really, uh, sustainable from my standpoint. Uh, and yeah, you know, I, I don't know what, uh, I, as I tried just tracking calories. Um, I mean, I can do that for a while, but then when when even though I should be theoretically losing weight and I don't, you know, I just kind of, eh. Uh, so no, I mean, it's just uh, lots of vegetables, fair amount of meat. I do eat a lot of chicken, but you know, I'm not anti-steak in any way, uh, shape or form. Uh, but just, um, I, I do eat some bread, but not a lot
0: okay so yeah it's just no i was just curious load. if you had like a, a longevity uh protocol that you found that were really works well for you to kind of help you continue to accelerate but it sounds like you know you're 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 doing some really good things i mean vegetables are, are loaded with nutrients it sounds like you're getting good protein avoiding some of those other things that you shouldn't be eating uh, that's really kind of uh, a good recipe to kind of put together uh, moving you forward well it was just last
1: night my wife and i were just discussing uh, flavor and, and vegetables you see on facebook uh, someone posted to them does anybody really eat brussels sprouts anymore and we're going well, heck yes because we like brussels sprouts now they're not boiled they're you know my wife's very creative she tries new things and she just uses some oil and uh salt and then browned them i think in the broiler i could be wrong about that but it was just more flavorful than just oils Brussels sprouts. but the point is for us that we like trying new things that challenge our taste buds and that in itself uh helps us we gravitate to vegetables I mean, not that we shun meat at all because we don't uh but by by trying new things, we're it's just like it's it's an exotic thing for us. It's um it's not boring.
0: Yeah, and and I think that's a great idea. In fact, um, a I, we have over the years developed multiple ways of cooking Brussels sprouts our sprout, ourselves. You know, initially when my wife talked about doing it years ago, I, I was probably like most people. I'm like I have no interest in eating that because. You're thinking back to that old um, boiled Brussels sprout taste that's just, in my opinion, terrible. In fact, we just she bought some prepackaged ones not too long ago from from Costco that was boiled or whatever, and we took like three bites and and we were like, oh nope, this is, we're, we're not doing this again. So we much rather prepare it ourselves, and uh, we've done it in the skillet which is great. We actually have uh, an air fryer. So it's a way of kind of crisping those things without using oils and stuff like that. So it's kind of another unique little cooking tool. But the, yeah. the real point here is, I love that you guys are a creative because that adds variety that allows you to continue to uh, develop uh, different opportunities and, and palettes. And in fact, you know, it's been a while since we've implemented this, but uh, for a long, long time there, one of the things my wife would try to implement on a weekly basis is a recipe she's never tried before. And so it was like every week she tried to come up with something different that has never been done, at least by us or her, um, to try and it allowed us to really kind of try some really neat and new things and develop, you know, an opportunity to, to a, eat healthy, but not eating the same old chicken breast and broccoli every single night, just because it's quote unquote healthy. So yeah. I love that uh, you guys that's have that strategy cool. in place. Yeah, that's very so, cool. Um, you recently just had some surgery. Is that not correct? Yeah, had hernia surgery. Um, it was in July I started
1: having some uh, just a, a discomfort in my right testicle area. And um, it didn't go away. But, you know, as I did self-examination, there wasn't any hard lump or anything. So I wasn't overly concerned about it being cancer or anything. And it wasn't it wasn't a pain. It was just discomfort. And when I started doing some research on it, it sort of pointed to that it could have been a um, a tube that had become twisted. It it's, um, happens. And so I decided to go have it checked out. So the doctor says, well, let me check you for a hernia. While we're doing this, and he so he sticks his finger there, and I cough, and he goes, "Oh yeah." Checks the other side, not so much the other side, okay. And one, and it surprised me, a hernia, okay. And this is when I'm starting to think back. Uh, I have a large prostate, so there's sometimes uh, I have I have to strain to pee, but it's pretty rare that I have to really, really restrain But there was this one time that was exceedingly. Uh, hard. So I'm going, I'll bet it occurred then. So about a week before the surgery, and the surgery was early December, I got to thinking, well, when the doctor sticks his finger there, what is it really checking? So I stuck my finger there and I coughed and I go, oh, that's what they feel. And the thing is, is that at that time, Another thing that I had had a couple of years ago was that just above that area on my anatomy, on the right side, I'd started getting kind of puffy. And when I coughed, I realized that that kind of jumped too. Now that when the puffiness first appeared it was like two years ago and I started poking it and again, there's nothing solid. I just, it, it, to me, it seemed like it was like a fat deposit that was not really balanced, you know, on my body, but it didn't seem to be any big deal. That was I ended up. It was a double hernia. That other part higher up was another separate hernia. So um, they corrected both of those. A couple of things about the the procedure itself. Going in, I'm there for uh, the surgery and the And this is, is, and he's looking at the computer, he's saying, um, do you smoke? No. What medications are you on? Not any. He pauses, he turns to me and he says, you are something of a pharmacological virgin. You, uh, when you smoke or take medication, your liver starts learning how to deal with stuff that it's not normal. And your liver doesn't have any abnormal stuff. So you might it might take you a little longer to wake up but but that's it so that was kind of interesting and then this is really important guys if you're going in for for hernia her surgery the intake nurse said they will allow you to pee one more time before they they wheel you in I said, okay good and when the doctor came in i confirmed that yes they'll pee before going into er they come down 30 minutes later after talking to the doctor get me into the hallway, down the hall, into directly into ER, and I'm going, wait a minute, I thought I was supposed to pee one more time. They said, oh, they didn't have you do that? I said, no, okay, well, it's too late, we'll just catheter you. This was the worst part of the whole thing. Um, when, the, when and, and you don't know that until you go to pee afterwards. Uh, for, for two days, maybe three, it was painful. But uh, the, the recovery itself, um, I, I had no idea, never having had uh, hernia surgery before, how, you know, I'm in pretty good shape, how quickly can I get back to normal. And uh, so the, I, the doctor did say you can exercise, just don't lift anything over 10 pounds. Okay. Well, I couldn't even hold the plank. Uh, I had no, I mean, on the one hand, you know that you're, you're working your abs when you hold plank, but I had no idea just how much, and it was about a week before I could actually hold the plank. So obviously I'm not even doing Merkins. And uh, but then once I start doing Merkins, this just one, you know, uh, a day Then I go up to two, but my wife, she sees me and it's still under the, the, the two weeks where I'm not supposed to lift more than 10 pounds. And my wife starts yelling at me. you know what are you doing? I said, well, the doctor said I could exercise. He said, she said, you're not supposed to lift more than 10 pounds. I said, but I'm exercising. You weigh more than 10 pounds. <laughs> so there was that, that that I had to deal with. So I had to start doing my exercising um, when she wasn't around. But other than that, uh, and, and the other thing was that just because they put the mesh in, the, the recovery you know was just a gradual. Once it started being able to do some exercises, you know and just building it back up, I'm probably not hundred percent yet. It's been uh, about thirty days since the surgery. Uh, but uh, I've you know definitely you know, trending back to where I was before the surgery. And there's no question that uh, the recovery has been much better than if I hadn't been you know in shape. So that's something to keep in mind
0: too. Yeah, know. it's a testimony to the fact that you are, you know, going into the surgery with with some fitness level. Uh, I, I found that talking to other individuals who've gone through surgeries and different things, who are associated with F three, that the F three preparedness really went a long way for them. A, doing well during the surgery, but most importantly on the back end and uh, recovery. And then, and uh, the second take home is. At all costs, try to avoid a catheter, it sounds like. Uh, <laughs> That's it. <laughs> don't yep. want to repeat that one. Okay, I got it. I got it. Well, uh, Wilson, I really appreciate you, man, uh, sharing you know your story with us and just inspiring us as, as we uh, get into those respectable years to know that we can uh, really uh, continue to accelerate, that we can continue to. Uh, allow F3 to be a vital part of our existence and who we are and what we do. Um, So I do have a couple final questions for you. And my first one is this. um, If you'd had to give three tips to somebody to help them kind of accelerate their health, what would they be to get them launched on their hunt for wellness? Well, my first tip would be to remember your ABCs, which means
1: always be curious, in Free to Lead, dread and OBT tell the story of when the mothership got big enough that they said, we need to split, they started talking to a PAX who they thought would be the ideal cue, And he was agreeing until he found out what they were really asking him. And he goes, well, what, what if nobody comes? What if we fail? What if? What if? Now, I think what if is really a good question because I go, well, what if I add a yoga routine first thing in the morning? Or what if I add some really spicy stuff to my Brussels sprouts while I eat more? Is that a good thing? Now, you can also say what if, like I did a year ago, and say what if I take two 25-pound dumbbells and do a Tabata in curls, and I learned that I destroyed my biceps for six weeks. So that's okay because in that what if, uh, it still falls within the L, uh, LDP, the leadership development process. I learned something. I should have taken a more gradual approach. So always be curious because that's where you can actually learn new things. And in fact, I think that curiosity is the mother of disruption. So always be curious. Now, the second tip first, the backstory. It was back in the 1980s, and I was teaching at a community college, computer applications, and in the spreadsheet portion of the class, I was giving a test. And ten minutes into the test, I get up and walk around, see where everybody is, and see if there's any questions. A little bit later, I get up and walk around again, and there's this one student who was on the same question that she'd been on 10, 15 minutes before. Whereas everyone was on question eight or nine, she was still on question three. I really feel like God whispered in my ear at that point, and because I have no idea where the idea came from, I whispered into her ear, Don't let what you can't do keep you from doing what you can. And there's just such a broad application for that. You know, I can't run a marathon. I can't run five miles anymore. I can't maybe even run a mile. I don't know. It's been a long time. But I can ruck 16 because I did it just a few months ago. So. It doesn't matter what you can't do. Focus on what you can do. Don't let what you can't do keep you from doing what you can. And the final tip, going back to the story about my grandpa. At that time, I had been working in a hospital as an orderly. And people in their 60s would come to the hospital. And sometimes when they were discharged from the hospital, they didn't go back home. Sometimes they went to a nursing home. And at that time, I was developing a mindset as I'm seeing people grow old and feeble. Then I go back home and I see my grandpa doing the muscle up into the hayloft. And I realized growing old is mandatory. Growing feeble can be somewhat optional. So you need to develop a plan, even a simple one. As you grow old, how are you going to do it? How are you going to grow old? You can grow old and feeble or not. It's up to you. So come up with a plan. Remember the ABCs. Always be curious. Don't let what you can't do keep you from doing what you can. Develop a plan so that you don't just grow so that you grow old, but not old and feeble.
0: I love it, man. And uh, before I ask this final question, I just once, uh, want to take it just a few seconds here and once again reiterate my appreciation of you, uh, let you know that I, I really do appreciate you taking time and just sharing uh, your uh, information with us and, and acknowledge you for that. So so once again, thank you. If there was somebody that wanted to reach out to you, if they wanted to kind of ask you any questions about what they heard today or if they're in the Dayton area and want to post, uh, what's the best way for someone can get in touch with you? Uh, if they're
1: on Slack, uh, I'm I'm on the, the nation side of Slack, you know, quite a bit. So that's uh, one way. Wilson and the uh, TOG, T-O-G, is is the, the full handle there to differentiate me from other, the other Wilsons that are out there. And then um, if you're not on Slack, uh, you can reach me at bill. Ketterman it's like Letterman with a K at yahoo.com.
0: Awesome. Well, I appreciate you letting us, uh, contact you those ways. And so my final question is this, uh, Wilson, what is your definition of wellness?
1: I'm glad you gave me a heads up on that because it's, um, it's given me a little bit of time to think about it. Um, because, it is relative uh, again, kind of like what I was saying um, before. What we have uh, one fellow, one Pax, who uh, he's got a lot of uh, immune, um, audio immune. He's got a lot of health problems, but he's one of us. You know, he he shows up and uh, and he works out, and you know, so we're coming at it from a different perspective. So. The, the the wellness is just doing the best you can with what you've got because you know, he's younger than i am so i'm older we've got different body chemistries so the, the wellness is a mindset are you doing the best that you can with what you've
0: got i love it man thanks again for being on the show Thanks for listening to the Hunt for Wellness podcast. Please rate and review our show and be sure to share it with your F3 brothers. As always, we are looking for inspiring stories to share and health experts to interview. So if that's you, please reach out to me at bones at huntforwellness.com, on the nation Slack at Bones, or Twitter at HFWpodcast. And until next time, this has been Bones guiding the packs of F3 Nation on their hunt for wellness.